Acts chapter 7. Let's go ahead and pray, and we're going to try to get through the whole chapter. Father, we continue in our worship of you by opening your word, your love letter. This is just incredible. I thank you for uh, those who taught yesterday, the junior high and high schoolers. And um, it's wonderful to see young adults uh, teaching the younger adults principles that your word is totally reliable, it's historical, it's authoritative. Father, we thank you and praise you that it has all the answers to this life. So even this morning as we read this and we find ourselves in a a culture as well as a country that is becoming more and more antagonistic against Bible-believing Christians, give us wisdom, give us discernment. I pray for the gift of teaching. And that your Holy Spirit will guide, will guide us this morning in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we left off last week with Stephen, and more commonly known as Stephen, but Stephen, being in front of the Sanhedrin, that religious body of 70 elders who knew the word of God. But Stephen knew the word of God as well. And it's really important. It transformed his life literally. And I thank Mike and Ella for coming up and giving those testimonies, the word of God will transform anyone's life, literally. You see, there was peace within his soul, and this peace was expressed on his face. You see, as we read throughout the Gospels, we see the heart of the religious elite, they had a hatred for Jesus. And now their hatred is for his disciples, not just the 12 apostles, but for anyone who would proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. They were determined to stop this sect of Nazarene believers, and they're going to go to extreme measures to do so. So let's go back to verse 8 of chapter 6, just to pull up the context of our text. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some of what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those of Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit. Again, notice that if you're new or visiting. Capital S, that's Holy Spirit, by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say... We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So here we have liars accusing Stephen of being a liar. Kind of very interesting. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. And we know that to be the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin. Made up of Sadducees and Pharisees, 70 men. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place, which would be the temple, and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Neither of which Jesus did. If you're new to Christianity, you will not find that in the Gospels or in the New Testament anywhere. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at Stephen, saw his face as the face of an angel. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? 
So as we look at this chapter, guys, it's important to notice that Stephen doesn't try to defend himself, which we typically do when we're accused of something. But rather, he gives the Sanhedrin one of the longest teachings in the book of Acts. It is also a tremendous example of knowing the truth of God's word. Remember that Stephen was just an ordinary man. And what is the book of Acts? The book of Acts is the Holy Spirit working through ordinary people. You and I in 2019. God wants to use us, the hands and the feet, to go out and impact a culture that desperately needs Jesus. We want to keep that in the forefront of our minds. But remember that Stephen was just an ordinary man who was found to be faithful, very important as Christians. He was respected, well-respected in the church as well as the community. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. Very important. You see, he was chosen to be one of the church's first deacons. But now he finds himself in front of the most respected and supposedly wisest leaders of the land, which included the high priest known as Caiaphas. You see, this is the same man that Jesus stood before and was condemned to death by. Stephen knew this. The apostles knew this. So he was asked by the high priest if the accusations that we just read, if they are true. So Stephen inspired is inspired to present a case. And this is very interesting as we read over this chapter. Again, guys, we want to go back. We want to go back and be in his sandals so that we can grasp what he is doing. Kind of get the picture. He's This is like you and I going in front of Congress, you know, one of those meetings that people have had in the last year and being grilled. Well, you said this and you did this when you were a teenager. Now you're in your 50s and 60s. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, I... Uh. This is the power. This is the intimidation that Stephen is now in front of. He had to rely totally upon the Holy Spirit. But what is interesting is he's going to present a case against his own Jewish heritage that will give these men no way out of acknowledging that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. So you and I, as we go through this chapter, we want to keep that in mind, even in our own lives. When people accuse us, do we have to defend ourselves? You know, that's up to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit tells you to do that, do that. But more so than not, you just need to be humble and represent Jesus and proclaim the truth and proclaim the truth and proclaim the truth. And as they keep coming at you, just go back to the facts uh, this past week, I had a conversation with a pastor who was going some, through something very, very hard for his family that, that he's going through. And I just had to remind him, just stick with the facts. Make sure your emotions are under control via the Holy Spirit and just keep going back to the facts. Just keep going back to the facts. And he called me later in the week and he's working through and he said, you know, thank you for that simple wisdom. That made a huge difference and I've just been sticking to the facts and things are changing. Things are changing. Things are going better. Guys, just stick to the facts. In love, grace, and mercy. Let God be your defense. He will, as we're going to see here. So let's see what Stephen does here about his ancestral history. And he said, brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt 
in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then Abraham came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him, God moved him to this land in which you now dwell, which would be Israel, Israel, the land of Israel today. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him, God promised to give it to Abraham for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. What place? Israel. Then he gave, then God gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. So here we see that Stephan was accused of speaking against the temple. You see, the temple was the most revered place for the Jews. It was where they thought the presence of God dwelt. It's kind of like for us today as Christians, we might say we're going to church. And some people will think, oh, well, that's where God dwells. And you might have to explain to them, no, as a believer, as a Bible-believing Christian, God literally dwells within me. That's just a building that we meet at. It's convenient because everybody can't fit in my house or your house. So we go to another building and we call it the church. But the church is really every Bible-believing Christian. You are the church. But you'll remember, unfortunately, that the temple was that building made by human hands. And just like the Old Testament, prior to the captivity, the temple became an idol. The temple became an idol. And here in the time of Jesus, the temple has once again become an idol. They worship the temple more than God's presence. Well, how do I know that? We just read in our text. They got to bring liars in to bring false accusation against a man who's serving God. Why? Well, if you've read the Gospels, what did Caiaphas prophesy? It's better than one man die. Then we lose our temple and lose our nation. And he was prophesying about killing Jesus rather than losing our temple and our nation. The temple was an idol. The temple was an idol. So Stephen does an excellent job in pointing out the fact that God is not in a temple made of hands, but that God is everywhere guiding his people. And he starts out with who? With Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. Notice that God found Abraham, guys. We got to notice this as we read this chapter. We can just blow over it. But God found Abraham, an Arab, by the way, and not the other way around. Abraham did not find God. God found Abraham. And I have to say my own personal testimony, and maybe you would as well, that God found me, even though I was going to church every Sunday and punching the religious clock. I was not seeking after God. I was doing my church obligation. 
And you might even be here today. Maybe you're visiting and you're here out of debt or duty or obligation. And maybe you don't have a personal relationship with God via Jesus. And I just want to tell you right here, right now, God loves you. God desires to have a relationship with you. He is not interested in your obligations, your duties or your debts. He is not interested at all. None of that will get you to heaven. Because no one is perfect. No one in this room is perfect. No one will ever be perfect. And so it is all about relationship. And he might be even seeking after you right now this morning. Saying, would you listen please? And he's been seeking after you and seeking after you. And you keep brushing him off, brushing him off, brushing him off. And he's saying once again, hey, he just said I love you. That is true. He just said that you could have a relationship with me. That is true. But it's up to you. It's up to your free will. What are you going to do about it? You see, God found and spoke to Abraham in what is modern-day Iraq. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Because this was obviously hundreds of years before the law, very, very important, before the law, and any physical temple. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Notice that, by faith. And again, you might be sitting here and I want to encourage you, you can have a personal relationship by faith. It's not a matter of coming to Calvary Chapel every Sunday. No, it's by faith. And you need to get plugged into a Bible-believing church here or there are other Bible-believing churches in our community. Get plugged in and grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going, guys. Doesn't that feel like you and I sometimes? When God says to do something and you're like, but I don't understand, or I don't get it, or where am I going? Well, then that's not faith. If you have to have all the answers, you're not walking by faith anymore. But then when you get past it and you look back and you go, Oh, that's why you wanted me at that place at this time. Thank you, God, for using me. And he's going to mature your faith to rely upon that still small voice more and more. This is what Abraham is doing. He's relying upon that still small voice. Verse 9, by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob the heirs with him of the same promise. Notice that, not Ishmael, Isaac and Jacob. God did bless Ishmael, as the word says, God loved Ishmael, and God blessed Ishmael tremendously, but Islam did not come into play until 600 A.D. 600 A.D., over 2,000 years before, after Abraham. We just read the facts. So don't get wrapped up in feelings. Just stick with the facts and love, grace, and mercy. For he, Abraham, waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You see, Abraham was looking to the things of heaven and not the things of this earth. Well, how do I know that? Because he left. He left everything he had in Iraq and said, okay, God, I'm going with you. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what you have for me, but you said you have something for me, so I'm going to follow you. That's called faith. That's called faith. So he left. 
But and he made mistakes as we do. And one of the biggest mistakes was having two sons. Again, if you're new to the word, you you might say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, God had made a promise to Abraham that he would bring forth a son that God would make a covenant with. Abraham's first son was Ishmael, who came about by the fleshly plans of Abraham and Sarah via Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. This was not the son that God was going to give the covenant to. Abraham's second son, just a few years later, was Isaac. And Isaac was the son of God's promise via Sarah. But you see, they got impatient, and so they stepped out in the flesh. And they reaped of the flesh, and they're reaping of that flesh still to this day. Even though they're cousins, Jews and Arabs are cousins, unfortunately, they hate each other, and they're still reaping of those consequences. You see, this was common knowledge to the Jews. Abraham disobeyed and then learned to wait on God's promises. I'm going to say that again, because this could be a Christian. Abraham disobeyed and then learned to wait on God's promises. You see, the point that I would like to establish here as we study this teaching, this chapter, is that Stephen is establishing a pattern, a pattern. As you read this chapter, he's establishing a pattern for his audience. Who's his audience? The religious elites of Israel. What's the pattern? The first and then the second. The first and then the second. Okay, let's look at verses 9 through 18. 9 through 18. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles. And God gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan. And our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem, the land of Israel, and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. So, very important here. The first time the brothers came to Joseph, they didn't recognize him. They sold him into slavery because of his wild dreams that were actually prophetic. But notice that God was with Joseph. Notice in verse 9, but God was with him. What is Stephen saying? We got a temple. They didn't have a temple. God was with them. God was with them. Very, very important. Joseph didn't reveal himself to his brothers when they came the first time to Egypt, but rather tested them to see if they had truly repented over their deeds done to him. Then, when they had came back the second time, he revealed himself, and reconciliation and restoration took place, and the family was reunited in Egypt on a third trip. But it was the second time that Joseph revealed himself after he was, after he tested them. 
Let's look at 19 through, or 17 through 29. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as his, her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Notice that he knew that he was a Jew. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and killed the Egyptian. He struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed Moses away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire in the bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. See, Moses was first trained in the ways of the world. As we just read, the people refused to come under the leadership of Moses. So at 40 years old, Moses left Egypt and spent another 40 years in the wilderness becoming a shepherd. He married Zipporah, the daughter of Jethro, a priest of Midian. It was during these 40 years, it was during those 40, these 40 years that Moses spent time with the God of Israel while herding the flocks of Jethro. Interesting. So now let's read on and see what's going to take place here. Oh, where did I leave off? 30. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and he drew near to observe the voice of the the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Hundreds of years have already passed now. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and come down to deliver them. How did God hear that and know that without a temple? You see, Stephen is he's proclaiming something here. That's what we want to keep in our minds. Well, there was Noah's temple. How did How did that happen? Because God is a relationship God. And now I will send you to Egypt. This moment Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. 
He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea. Red Sea, not the Sea of Reeds. Very important. Red Sea. And in the wilderness, 40 years. You see, God met Moses in the land of Midian, which is mostly northwest Arabia between Egypt and Canaan, and not in a temple. Notice in verse 34, notice in verse 34 that God saw, God heard, and that God would deliver. Is that still applicable in 2019 for you and I as we go through our problems and our struggles? As we have our anxieties and we have to deal with reality and even maybe having to take a course because we're twenty thousand sixty thousand a hundred thousand dollars in debt or maybe more god has a plan god knows he hears and he will answer are you listening am i listening in my daily struggles in the things that i have to go through god's there guys do we trust him enough to allow him to lead us isaiah 59 says this behold The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities. Whose? My. I could say, but my iniquities are between God and me. Or I should really say between me and God. God loves me and cares for me. His love never changes. But I separate myself when I get on that road of iniquities. And then I try to say, well, where's God? Where's God? God's always there. Am I willing to turn? But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now, as we read the rest of the scriptures, we know that God does hear. But the point here that Stephen is making, it was the second time that Moses came that the people received and followed his lead. The second time. Verse 37, this is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Capital P. Now he said this during the wilderness, the wandering years. Capital P, a Messiah. A Messiah. So Moses is being a prophet at this point, and he's saying that there's a Messiah coming, like me, from your brethren, so a Jewish Messiah, him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give us, which would be the first five books of the Bible whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts, guys, this is for you and me. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. Egypt is symbolic of the world. We today as Christians, we have a choice. Let me rephrase that. We have options, but we only have one right choice. We have two options. I can go back to the world or I can stay in the word. I've got a problem. I've got a trial. I can go back to the world or I can stay in the word. Those are my two options. 
But as a Bible-believing Christian, what do I have? Only one option. I mean, only one choice. I've got two options, only one choice. i got to stay in the Word. The world's not going to do it. God will. So guys, we have options. But as Bible-believing Christians, we only have one choice. Stay with God. He'll see us through. He'll bring us through it every single time. He will bring us through it. Verse 39, again, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. And in their hearts, their hearts, their souls, they turned back to Egypt saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Remember, he was up, Charlton Heston was up on the mount getting the commandments. Remember that? And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the work of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god, Remphan, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. So now prophesying, Stephen now, Stephen now brings them up to date, even to the, to the captivity. But he's established that pattern. And he goes on to explain that this pattern is because of the stubbornness, the hardness of heart, and the disobedience of the Jewish people, which he was a part of. You see, God wanted to continually bless his people. You'll find that in the Old Testament. But they continually went back to their old selfish nature. You will find that as well. And what are the Pharisees and Sadducees doing right now? What is Caiaphas, the high priest, doing right now? Man, if we don't squelch this, we're going to lose our temple. We're going to lose our idol. we got to kill these people. we got to be done with them. Well, let's keep reading on. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructed Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David. Notice that. Who drove them out? God. But God used the Israelites, but God was the one who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Very, very important here. We see that David is is referenced here in these verses. You see, David wanted to build a temple. But David committed adultery with a woman who was married named Bathsheba. She became pregnant. So David had her husband murdered. Guys, and this is in the Old Testament. If you're new to the faith, you can read it. David then went on to marry Bathsheba, but the baby that was born from this adulterous situation was a product of the flesh, and the baby died. But interestingly enough, as you read your Bible, the second son that was born to David via Bathsheba, what was his name? Anybody know? Solomon. Solomon. And once again, we see the pattern of the flesh versus the spirits. So now, Stephen now addresses their initial question about the temple because he was accused of what? The temple's going to be destroyed. That's what he was accused of. 
blasphemy, the temple's going to be destroyed, and the law is going to be done away with. So now Stephan addresses that. He addresses it here. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne. Now he's referencing Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Was my hand not, has my hand not made all these things? Does God need a place? He's in heaven. He's in heaven. I want to read verse 2 of Isaiah 66. For all those things my hands have made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look on him who is poor, humble, in parentheses, and of a contrite spirit. Contrite means smitten. And who trembles at my word, who reverences my word. You see, there was no building that we could make for God in order for him to dwell in. Rather, he dwells within the hearts of those who receive Jesus as their Savior, as I mentioned earlier. So now it's hammer time. Stephan has now kept their attention. He's done the pattern. Now here's the close. You want me to answer your question? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears? He's talking to Congress right here. I mean, get the picture, guys. This is who he's in front of. It would, it would be like us going in front of the state or going in front of our town council when they made decision and we just walk in and give them a history of Queen Creek and then look at them and go, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hard people? That wouldn't go over very well, would it? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hard in ears, the soul, the mind. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. And again, isn't this interesting for you and I, even this morning as believers, as Bible-believing believers? Let me ask you a simple question. Can we, as Bible-believing believers, can we resist the Holy Spirit? Yes or no? How many of you say yes? Raise your hand if you say yes. The answer is yes. We can't lose the Holy Spirit. But we can resist the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We're not going to lose the Holy Spirit. So guys, this is applicable for you and I. You may be sitting here going, when's lunch? I got something better to do. Well, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you're resisting what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you something here. Don't be double-minded in the flesh and in the Spirit. One moment I'm in the flesh, the next minute I'm in the Spirit. That's what this chapter is explaining to the religious elite of the day. Don't blow this off. This is for you and I. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of the Messiah, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. You have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. You see, by this time, they obviously knew that Stephen was what was he was getting at, and now he tells them straight up, the problem is the rebellion of your wicked heart. They had rejected the Messiah, and now they're trying to cover it up. But it's not the end of the story. 
Jesus will come back a second time and Israel will receive him gladly. Romans 11. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I believe that's in reference to the rapture. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Zechariah 12 says this, And it shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Zechariah thirteen six. And one will say to him, What are these wounds between your arms? Then he will answer, the, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Speaking of Jesus and the crucifixion. Let's wrap it up with 54. When they heard these things, they they were cut to the heart. What caused them to be cut to the heart, guys? The word of God. The word of God. Not Stephan defending himself, just the word of God. What did Stephan do? He just rehearsed the word of God. This is our history. This is our history. And he allowed the Holy Spirit to do the convicting. When they had heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. And he, and I have this part highlighted in my Bible, being full of the Holy Spirit. Once again, the Bible emphasizes being full of the Holy Spirit. We already heard that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Why bring it up again? Because when we stand in front of others and we're being persecuted, we cannot trust in our flesh. We have to trust in Almighty God and ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Even right now, God, give me more of the Holy Spirit. Father, give me more of the Holy Spirit. They're coming at me. Give me more of the Holy Spirit. This person's making fun of me. Give me more of the Holy Spirit. In that instant, you and I, we need to be praying for more of the Holy Spirit. And God will give it to you. And then he will give you wisdom beyond your years. And the people will kind of look at you and go... Huh? You should be mad. You should be clenching your teeth. You should be yelling back at me. Why aren't you doing any of that? Because I'm a believer. And the Holy Spirit's restraining me right now. Or I would hurt you. Tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. Just make sure they understand. It's the Holy Spirit. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's a music team comes up. And said, look. I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephan as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephan had peace. He knew he was going home. You can kill my body, but you can't tell me where I'm going because I am going to heaven. You cannot take that from me. 
Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice. Notice this, guys. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice. What did Jesus say on the cross? What was one of the very first things that Jesus said on the cross? You guys remember? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. What does Stephen do? Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Basically saying the same thing. Do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. He died. You see, Stephen knew the word of God and allowed the Holy Spirit to direct his words so that God could do the convicting of those present. And guys, that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do with you and I this week. Maybe you find yourself in a relationship or in a situation that's becoming contentious, disheartening, frustrated. Maybe you have anxiety or worry. Maybe you're even getting consumed with bitterness or hatred or anger in your life. That's real. That happens to Christians. You've got to go back to the healer, to the source of the one who can heal you and remove all of that from your life. God, who sits on the throne, who's not interested in our flesh, but is willing to give us more of his spirit. That's what we need, guys, more of his spirit. Father, we thank you and praise you that even Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. If you ask or seek or knock for more of the Holy Spirit, my heavenly Father will give you more of the Holy Spirit. Father, we see in just these seven chapters that the early church was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, refilled with the Holy Spirit. Not not relying on yesterday's manna or yesterday's filling, but asking for more of the Holy Spirit each and every day. Father, may we as believers realize that as well. We can't rely on yesterday's Bible teaching, on yesterday's devotion. We need fresh manna. We need your word every single day. We need more of your Holy Spirit every day to keep our flesh in check. What a great testimony that Stephen has given to us. Just standing just standing upon the Word of God and allowing your Holy Spirit to convict those who might be present. Lord, give us wisdom in our lives as well. And may we give your Holy Spirit room to convict those who come against us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Let's stand, guys. God bless you. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please come up. Someone will come with you. If you brought someone today and they look at you and go, I would like to receive Jesus, you come with them. Come up with them. There's going to be elders up here to pray with them to receive Jesus. Guys, this is eternity. Take advantage of it. And if you need prayer for anything else, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. God bless you guys. Saturday morning, 7 a.m. if you want to help with the demo. Sing the mountains shake before you. The mountains shake before you. The demons run and flee. At the mention of the name, keep.